So we've been in the book of First Samuel, and uh, we're going through a series called Samuel, then we're going to move to Saul, then we're going to move to um, David. But as we're looking at those series, uh, we're um, stopping the sermon, our series of Samuel, uh, stopping it because it's, it's, it's done. We're at a good trans, uh, uh, kind of a, a time to change um, the, the pace. Uh, Israel is going to start asking for a king, and as they're asking for a king, we're going to move into Saul. And I didn't want to um, preach a passage on uh, chapter 8 this weekend and then all of a sudden pick it up again in September because it kind of went with September more than it did this weekend. So I just um, uh, picked a sermon this morning, uh, picked a passage I'd like to just work through under a topic that is important to everybody, a topic that applies to everybody, um, a topic that many people um, are confused by and wonder what the answer says about uh, what the Bible says the answer is about it. And the topic is, um, is guilt. Uh, guilt is a master. It carries power um, and it controls. And so when you look at the topic guilt, every single one of us, you know, feel it. We know we have guilt um, in many different situations and circumstances. But we want to ask the question, what does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about guilt? And when you ask that question, um, if you don't get right into Second uh, Corinthians 7... Um, you're going to ponder what the Bible says about guilt because it can be confusing because there's two different, um, God uses it and so does Satan. So both of them are using it as a tool. God uses it for good and Satan uses it for bad. So we're going to look at this passage and, and work through it and you'll notice it in first, uh, second Corinthians seven. Uh, the first thing that you're going to see in the passage, I just want to put it in our notes first is two kinds of guilt. There's a guilt that saves. And there's a guilt that kills. And so we're going to look at both these guilts, a guilt that saves, and then a guilt that kills after we open this passage in 2 Corinthians. Let's read it. 2 Corinthians seven ten through 11. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent of this matter. So when we look at these two verses, it's packed with information. Packed with information. The first topic we're going to talk about is a guilt that saves and looking at this passage, you see a whole bunch of underlines that are taking place. What are these underlines? Uh, this is what you get under regards to the guilt that saves. So you could probably go through the next seven points in your notes and fill your notes out because that's exactly what we're going to be working on. A guilt that saves, before we get to a guilt that kills, is what? Guilt gives you an earnestness to correct sin. That's what guilt does. And it's a guilt from God. God will give you guilt to correct sin. It will be fast. It will be hard. It will be quick. And it will be strong often. I went rafting a couple weeks ago uh, with the church. And, and as I was driving to the put-in, I noticed a rattlesnake that was on the road. So, of course, what do you do when you see a rattlesnake? You always stop. <laughs> and, and, and you toy with it to get it to rattle. That's just what you do. Uh, at least that's what I do. So I stop, and and uh, and here's the rattlesnake that's on the road. I took a picture of it. If you look on the side of it, there's some peanuts. You know, I took some peanuts, and I throw some peanuts at it and see if I can get them rattled. He didn't rattle with peanuts, 
So I took little water bottles and I kind of rolled water bottles at it to see if he'd rattle. And he just kind of swirled around and, and, and he went to rattle. And uh, so I couldn't get him to rattle. So, well, I better get out of the truck to pick up my water bottles and not just leave them there on the road. So I get out of my truck and, oh, my, did he rattle. <laughs> as soon as I stepped on the ground, he popped up and that rattle went absolutely nuts. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but I do speak two languages, I found out. I speak English and I speak snake. <laughs> do you know what that snake said with that rattle? I mean, it was as clear as day. Get back in the truck. <laughs> That's exactly what that snake said to me. I mean, I know exactly what it said. Uh, I can interpret it. I know. And uh, I didn't. I, I got my water bottles and I got back. And then I, le- I left him alone uh, after that. But there's an instant correction that says, do not touch. Do not get close. Or it's going to get bad. <laughs> That's just kind of what that snake is communicating to me. That's what a conscience does. That's how God speaks to us. Do not get close. Do not touch. Or it is going to get bad. And we know when it shows up. Because it comes out inside of our instinct. That's a guilt that saves. That's a gift that God has granted to us. That's God speaking to us to bring us in alignment with what is healthy for us. A guilt that saves is a guilt that gives earnest to clear yourselves. Gives us an eagerness to clear ourselves. I'm sorry. You see that in our passage again in verse 11. An eagerness to clear yourself. You know, when I was um, young, I grew up with two brothers. So it was three boys um, in our house. And and uh, and my mom um, was kind of the main person who raised us as my dad worked out at sea. And uh, so she, he was gone for a month, a month and a half, and those kind of things. And then he'd come home. So my mom, you know, was a stay-at-home mom to take care of us. And, and, and we got disciplined. And one thing we got disciplined uh, for was leaving our bikes outside. Because if you leave your bikes outside, you know, we, it gets stolen. So do not, children, leave your bikes outside. Now, I'm not going to give you a, you know, a parenting method. Don't take this from a parenting method. But this is how my mom worked. She says, if you leave your bike outside, you're going to get disciplined with a spanking or grounding. You get to choose whatever you want. The grounding means you can't ride your bike for a week. Or you can have a spanking, and then you get your bike for a week, and it'll all be done. So one person would leave her bike out, and we'd go, Mom, we left her bike out. Or she'd say, I left your bike out. So then we'd come, and we'd go, all right, Mom, this is what I want. And, and then we'd get it. I always took the spanking. And the reason why is I want to be cleared. <laughs> I wanted the week where I just ride my bike. So it's just like, just give me a spanking. My brothers hated spankings. So they always took the grounding. And during the grounding, they sit there and they whine and they complain and they grumble about it. I don't have my bike. I don't have my bike. And, and uh, my brothers and I um, made a deal. They came up to me one time and says, hey, Mike, would you take our spanking for us if we gave you some money? <laughs> and I thought, I wonder if mom would actually go for that. And, and we asked her. And she did. She goes, I don't care if a bike's left outside. Somebody's going to get spanked. That's just the way it's going to be. I said, okay, well, Brian left his bike outside. Can I take a spanking? Oh, sure. Come on over. So she had spanked me. They didn't make a fortune because <laughs> they'd leave the bike out. Then they figured it out. That's cost them a lot of money. So what they'd do is they wouldn't leave the bike out. So I started bringing their bike out and put it out there. <laughs> and I was going, oh, yeah, you got you to make some dollars. I, I like being cleared of my sin. Doesn't this just feel good? <laughs> To be clear, that's what God does. He gives it to you for the purpose of being clear. 
you have something inside of you that I, I just want to be clean. I just want to be washed. And I'm talking saved person, non-saved person. I just want to be free. That's what's inside of us. Do you know what that is? That's God communicating to you, drawing you to himself and saying, find salvation in me. It's a guilt that saves. We all want to be cleared, and God is pulling us towards that direction. See, guilt gives you an indignation for sin. When we get to heaven, I'm going to ask God a lot of questions, but the number one question I'm going to ask him is, why does everything that tastes so good bad for you? I just don't get that. Uh, you know, I, I talked to uh, a nutritionist, uh, a, a doctor, that um, of what I should be putting into my body that was healthy. And I got this list. And I said, you know, one of the things on the list was macadamia nuts. You know, macadamia nuts, I think I could actually like them. And, um, and I, I kind of do. So, you know, we started buying macadamia nuts at, um, from Costco. And, uh, you know, they're supposed to fill you up, and they're good, and they're, they're healthy. Have you ever tasted them with a Hershey's chocolate? <laughs> yeah, the first week, two weeks, maybe three, I just eat the macadamia nuts because they're healthy. But then my wife, you know, has s'mores making inside. So it's like Hershey's candy bars. And then you take the Hershey's candy bars, they're kind of halfway melty, you put it with macadamia nuts and you eat them. Oh my goodness, there's nothing better. Um, I can't eat macadamia nuts without chocolate anymore. I mean, I can, but it's, God, how come it tastes so good and the things that taste so good are bad for you? Why can't the things taste good that are not bad for you? See, what happens is that we live in this world of, of sin, and sin at the surface, just it, it, it tastes good, but it goes into our system and it's bad for you. It's what it is. goes into our system and it's bad for you. God wants to communicate that to you. And he does it through the concept of guilt. I mean, again, saved or not, we do something that is against our, 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 our natural law that is built inside of us, which is the word of God. But some people don't know the word of God. It's just a natural law. In other words, if you don't know God at all, this natural law is still built in you. We know that because people in Hollywood would have affairs and we all throw rocks at them. And say, you know, oh, that's horrible. And there's this whole guilt that takes place. That's a natural law that is built inside of us. And when that natural law is broken, there's like this, oh, this, this, this guilt that takes place. That's God. It's God bringing us an indignation for sin. Hate it. Don't fall in love with it. Don't marry it. Don't embrace it. Don't feed on it. Don't feast off it. Hate it. That's God speaking to us. A guilt that saves. Letter D. Guilt gives you an alarm of the destruction of sin. It's a story about a guy who was, um, went to bed. And as soon as he climbed into his covers, he pulled his covers over himself. And then his dog started barking. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. It happens to me consistently. The dog started barking. But the dog was barking for a reason. The dog was barking because there was a thief that wanted to go into his shop and steal all of his tools and steal all of his stuff. So the dog starts to bark. Now as this dog is barking in the middle of the night, what's the guy do, the owner of the guy? He's sitting there tossing and turning and tossing and turning and getting frustrated. What's the thief do? The thief goes, oh my, I can't get in there because you got the stupid dog in the way. 
But as time passes and the owner is tossing and turning and getting mad and getting frustrated and start cursing at his dog, he finally throws his blankets off and says, I'm done. He grabs a gun, goes out there, and he shoots the dog. I know. It's a rough story. And then he walks back into bed, puts his covers on, and says, finally I get to sleep. And the thief says, finally I get to clean his house. Finally, I get to steal. That's exactly what the conscience is. Is a thief wants to go in and steal. I know it's a rough story, but I will tell you that that's what we do to our conscience. I hate it. I want to kill it. I want it gone. I want it out. I want it to grow hard. I don't even go to church. And the reason why I don't go to church is because when I show up to church, you know, my conscience of, uh, it, it comes, it, it comes up. It, what happens is we try to make our conscience hard so we can continue to do exactly what we want to continue to do. Letter E, guilt gives you a longing to be free from sin. Freedom is a gift. We all long for it. We all look for it. Internally, we're striving for this concept of freedom. Because if you have freedom, you could have, you could have rest. You could have strength. You could have joy. <coughs> you could have opportunity. And so we're longing for freedom. There's no freedom outside of God. That's it. There's no freedom outside of, uh, outside of God. Many people say, well, I don't believe in God because I don't hear him, I don't hear him speak. I don't hear him talk. I don't get to see him. I don't get to walk with him. I don't get to know him. I, he's not um, understood. I can't understand him. I don't know what he's trying to say to me. I, and if I can hear the audible voice of God, then I'll become a Christian. But if I can't, then I'm not going to become a Christian. You want to hear the audible voice of God? I mean, this is about as close as you're going to get to the audible voice of God because it is clear. It is when your conscience comes to the surface. And guilt says, don't touch. And all of a sudden, everything starts to come into your mind, which you know the answer. That's when God speaks. See, what happens is we think, okay, when everything's going good, and when I look in the sky, and I might want to increase my faith, I want to see God. But that's when we want God to talk to us. The last place we want God to talk to us is what? Is when we're being tempted and about ready to fall into sin. But that's the time that, that God shouts the most. It's a time that God speaks the most. And he wants to speak to us to say, I'm in it for your best interest. And I want to give you freedom. Guilt that saves is a guilt that gives you the desire to make it right. I'm in the process of hiking the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, and I'm doing it on the seven-year um, uh, thing because, uh, um, or six years because I can't do it in one year. I just, uh, it's just, I'd be gone for you know six months, five, six months. It's just too long. Um, and just to give you information, I go and talk to a surgeon for my knee on Thursday, so hopefully I can even do it in August. But we'll see. The first time that I went, um, I did half of Washington. And I've hiked, you know, most of my life, and. And whenever I hike, it doesn't matter how heavy your backpack is. All you have to do is just, just throw it all on. You know, I'd go 40 miles, 50 miles, and, and I'd bring the kitchen sink. It doesn't matter. I mean, if it's 20 pounds, 90 pounds, it's, 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 it's all the same when you're going for a trip. 
But when I was getting ready to do PCT, I was moving up to 250 miles. That was my first one I was going to hike, is 250 miles. And, and then you read about it, and it says, you know, resupply here, resupply here, and resupply here. I'm like, resupply? Forget resupply. You know, put it all on. Who cares? Carry the whole thing. No resupply. And after one week, I was humbled. <laughs> Weight has an impact. And the reason why? Because I was broken down. I fed everybody on the trail. Here, you want my food? You want my food? I'll resupply. I'll resupply. I promise. You know, this is, I was completely broken and exhausted because weight makes a difference. Weight, emotional weight, makes a difference in everything that you do in this world. It makes a difference in every relationship that you have. It makes a difference of your job performance. Makes a difference of your man, money management. Makes a difference of, of everything. Where your emotional weight is, it can pull you down, or if you don't have it, it can, it can, it can bring you up. We all have the desire to get our guilt gone. It's instinct. All have the desire to one day just be free, be guiltless, whatever it is. Be washed. Be clean. That's God speaking to us. He's speaking to us. Saying, you're a sinner. And that weight is on your shoulders, and it's more than you even want to try to bear in your relationships. It's more weight than you want to carry. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, because we're going to get an awesome answer at the end in regards to this guilt. But Christ came to carry that load. He came to literally pull it off of us. I'm not talking about when we die and we go to heaven. I'm talking about right now. When Jesus left heaven, he came to earth and died on the cross and rose again three days later for our sin. What's, what's he doing? He did that to pull the weight off of us now. Because when we find salvation with him, that's the answer to our guilt, as we're going to see when we get closer to the end. That's it. When we, God gives us this guilt, he's moving us to a desire to want to be right. And then when you show up at him and you see the gospel clearly, of the way that it is spoken, the way it is in the word of God, you know what's going to happen? The bells are going to go on and say, that's my answer? To be free now. A lot of our guilt is given to us by God. It's a guilt that saves but there's a guilt out there that Satan, as he is a, a thug, has taken and uses it for his good and his glory and his power. He's taken something good that God has given us, and then he uses it to destroy us. He uses it to kill us. And that's the next guilt we're going to talk about. It's called the guilt that kills. The guilt that does not lead to salvation but the guilt that leads to death. This is the guilt. A guilt that kills keeps you in bondage to shame. When you look at this word, shame, shame creates in us an inner desire to maintain rigid control. It breaks us and caves us inside where we have to make control. All of a sudden is where we're shaming, where our actions are coming out as regard to our shame. Shame creates an inner loneliness 
that brings you to oppression. It brings you to depression. It slaughters and annihilates your thoughts about yourself. It annihilates your thoughts about other people when shame takes hold of you. Shame steals joy. Shame steals salvation. If you come to God, you can be saved. How many people will not come to God as a result of I can't come to God? And the reason why I can't come to God is because God would not love me. Shame keeps you out of church. Shame keeps you away from God. Shame carries a a destruction for the purpose of annihilation, for the purpose of killing you. That's what how Satan uses his guilt. In our notes, you see, shame is when guilt moves from knowing you have done something bad to feeling that you are bad. Knowing that I did something bad, and then you internally put it on yourself and say, this is who I am. I am the product of what I do. What shame is. I don't want to be a product of what I do. Because if I'm a product of what do I do, of what I do, I'm a sick person. It's just it's just it. If I'm a product of what I do, I'm a sick person. And if I even think about that, I cave inside of myself. What I do is me. No, it's not. Well, who are you? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what Christ did is you. <laughs> not what you do is you. What Christ did is you. Again, he left heaven, he came to earth, he died on the cross for your sins, he rose again three days later so you can have eternal life. You go to heaven on his life, you don't go to heaven on your life. You see that that gospel is the only source you're ever going to find to annihilate shame. Satan knows that. So what you do, he's going to internally put it back inside of you and say, this is who you are. Oppression depression will then mark your way. Shame focuses not on what you have done, but on being ashamed of who you are. Revelation 12.10, for the accuser, which is talking about Satan, for Satan, the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night. Accuses them before our God day and night. So Satan does. Day and night. Haven't you seen him, God? And then go into us. Do you know who God is? God is God is holy. He wouldn't take you. He wouldn't save you. Consistently marking us on who we are. And as a result of marking us on who we are, we're ruining ourselves, destroying ourselves. I mean, what's the big topic out there on the news? New identity, you know. New identity, sexual identity, or just identity. New identity. Why? Because we don't like who we are. And when we don't like who we are, and we start caving inside of ourselves, we just try to find something new. we got to find something new. Maybe if I'm a new person, then I, I'd find that something new. That's shame that is working, and Satan is using it as a tool to tear people down. It's a guilt that kills. B, Guilt that kills keeps you from bondage, keeps you in the bondage of fear. Guilt is a master, and the reason why guilt is a master is because fear is a master. If you want to control anybody, all you have to do is bring fear. 
Uh, and we see that on the news consistently. You know, if, if you if if you if the ratings, if you want high ratings in the news, you gotta you gotta instill fear in people because what happens is then they gotta see the next page. They they have to they have to keep on reading it. It's, it's that's the addiction. You know, fear controls. So you go to the news and more and more and more and more and more and more and more. If if there's a pandemic or anything out there, I mean, the instilling of fear is the bringing of control because fear rules people. Fear rules us. But it should not be ruling a Christian. (laughs) It should not be ruling a Christian because the base of fear is the base uh, is the base of fear is guilt. And when guilt takes hold, fear takes hold. And when fear takes hold, we start to grab a hold of ourselves and again crush within ourselves. How do we do it? Here's three different ways how we do it. We refuse to be known. You hear these words, it's like, hmm, who cares? Yeah, I refuse to be known. That's not, that's not that big of a deal. What is love? Love is, is being vulnerable. You got a wedding anniversary coming up for 27 years. And uh, 27 years, what are we supposed to be doing in 27 years? We're supposed to be growing in love. And the way you grow in love is that I give myself away Physically, emotionally, spiritually, to my wife. My wife gives herself away to me. And that's what you call love. But you're vulnerable as you do it. But what if, and the reason why we're vulnerable, because we don't want to get hurt. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. The, you're vulnerable by creating, you're vulnerable by creating the love. But when you look at this word vulnerability, we don't give ourselves away because we don't want to get hurt. So if there's fear, why would I give myself away? Why would I be vulnerable? And that's what many marriages are even taking place, is that you don't even give yourself away emotionally, physically, mentally, time to your mate. And the reason why is because fear. It's because guilt. I'm going to hide, I'm going to seal myself and not hand myself away. The problem with that is you annihilate your relationship. Because if love is giving yourself away, and you don't give yourself away, you'll never experience love. And if you're not doing it with your mate, you're obviously not going to do it with somebody else in regards to talking to somebody else, in regards to giving time to somebody else, in regards to sacrificing for somebody else. You're going to hold yourself in, and a person who holds themselves in and doesn't share anything, doesn't talk about anything, just turns into somebody who is hard, strong, because you're just trying to survive. But you never experience love. That's what fear does to you. It brings you in bondage, refusing to be known. Nobody is going to know me. Crushed under criticism. Somebody criticizes you. Oh, you hate, malice, jealousy, frustration. Everything just all of a sudden comes out. We don't even know why these emotions come out. The base of it is guilt and then moving to fear. These are masters that are taking place. Some of us can't take criticism because it's our identity. This is who we are and they insulted who I am. A painful heart is what fear gives you. A heart that hurts as it brings isolation. Genesis 3.10. He answered, this is Adam speaking in the garden. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. What do you see in that passage? You see an annihilation of relationship. I cannot have a relationship with you. So he seals off moves away 
hides and covers himself so he cannot be seen and cannot be known. And who does he do it with? He does it with God. Because guilt came in and fear was then the reaction. Letter C, guilt that kills keeps you in bondage of anger. (laughs) Anger is a master. Guilt's a master that fuels fear. Guilt is a master that fuels anger. And fear and anger are two masters that rule people. How does it rule us? It rules us this way. Taking control by rebellion. I have guilt that Satan just puts on me. And the shame that follows as a result. Anger starts to fuel and you're going to react somehow. And how do people react? Often in just rebellion. Taking control by attacking. Relationships get destroyed. You see how Satan is ruining you as a result of this guilt being fueled? Taking control by shifting blame. See, when we get married, we bring all of our past into our family, into our new family. And then once we are married, we create this new past. First year, second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year. And in this process of this past that is behind us, we get paralyzed by guilt. And what I mean by paralyzed by guilt is we have guilt consume us so much that it's coming out in our actions, it's coming out of our behavior, and we don't even know why we behave the way that we do. Again, the foundation of that is guilt that is fueling you and is a guilt that kills, not a guilt that saves. Is there an answer? Is there an answer to be free? (laughs) Is there an answer that can I one day have my guilt gone? Yes, there is an answer. Number four, the only way, and I would say again, the only way you can be guilt-free is to be born again. That's it. You gotta be born again. What is being born again? (laughs) You gotta go to the creator you got to go to the history. you got to go and understand who you are and who created you. And it was God. And then you've got to go to God and understand the concept that there is a relationship that is broken because we see it in the, the um, book of Genesis in regards to Adam who went and hide. There's a relationship that is broken as a result of sin. And as a result of sin, I will hide from God. I will not move towards God. But today there's a message. And that message is again, you heard it a thousand times, Jesus left heaven and he came to pursue you. He left heaven, he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross to die for your sin, for your guilt, for what your sin carries. Went to the grave and rose again three days later so you can be clean. So you can be washed. So you can be washed. I do a lot of marriage counseling, and and I want to ask the question: How important is being washed? And inside of marriage counseling, usually the first you know ten minutes, fifteen minutes, I just listen, and um, I just, what's the issue? <laughs> That's all you have to say. <laughs> and then and then one person will talk, and then you know then and it just and then you just you just sit there and listen. And do you know everything that comes out of a person that's struggling inside a relationship that comes out 
Everything, 100% of everything that comes out of the mouth in the process of marriage counseling is things from the past. <laughs> everything. I mean, it might have been the past hour. It might have been the drive to the marriage counseling. It might have been the past year. It might have been the past five years. It might have been the past 10 years. It might have been the past 20 years. But it's all they speak about. It's all we speak about is the past. And we take all the past and we bring it into our relationships Being born again is what? The past is gone and the new has become. So when it comes to the concept of counseling, you know, after the 15 minutes are up, I do bring up the concept. Have you ever been born again? (laughs) And you usually get the response that, oh yeah, you know, I've saved, I saved 20 years ago. I saved 25 years ago. It's like, no, no, no. Have you ever tasted the concept of being born again and what it means It means the past is gone and the new has come. That's what it means. Well, what is that? That's a guilt-free life that is offered to us by God. A guilt-free life that is offered to us by God. Oh, God will bring the guilt for you to deal with it. And then the second that you deal with it, go into him at the mercy of the cross and say, God, I want forgiveness. Do you know what you're going to get? Every single time you go to God, you're going to get the shower of mercy and God saying, I want you right here. Every time that is done. We don't just accept Jesus to go to heaven when we die. God wants us to be free now. God wants us to be free. I mean, look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can't do any of those with guilt and shame. God wants us to be alive. He wants our relationships to be alive. And right now, in our world, in our individual relationships, and in most people... Guilt has a grip that is destroying every aspect of your life and also every, not every aspect, but many aspects of your family and your relationships. We have this concept, born again, set free from my past. The most amazing thing you could do as a couple is look at each other and say, let's taste born again where our past is gone And if something comes up, that's God bringing it up to say, ask for forgiveness. Oh my goodness, what kind of relationship would you have in that process? Ask for forgiveness of God. God showers mercy on you. You shower mercy to your mate. It's a thing that is destroying so many relationships that are out there. I want to go back to Genesis 3.10. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. What is that? That's an annihilation of relationship between mankind and God. That's what it is. But the restoration of relationship is the gospel. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth live a perfect life. Died on the cross. Rose again three days later. So now you can have complete fellowship with God again. You can go into the Holy of Holies. Look at God face to face whenever you want to talk to him and say, God, I'm sorry. He doesn't say, you did it again. No, it's not the topic. When you say, God, I'm sorry. I mean, if God was going to say a word, God would say, I like you here. 
and then he showers his grace upon you. It's a powerful concept. And it's a real concept, and we see it as a real concept because if you look at the gospel as truth, it carries that weight that all of us need. It carries the weight that all of us need because why did God just save us without the cross? The reason why is because he took everything to the cross to open our eyes of what's going on. The sickness of your sin, the mass of mercy that you receive as a result of it. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely Jesus has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. What do you mean he's carried our sorrows? He's taking the, the, the guilt, the grief, the weight, the, the fear, the anger, everything that sin gives us. He didn't only take clean that at sin at the cross. He took all that and cleaned it at the cross. I mean, according to that passage, our sorrows were brought to the cross on, on him as a result of our sin. Not only our sin, but our sorrows for our sins, our guilt because he wants you to be guilt-free. Because if he doesn't make you guilt-free, then you are not alive to do anything in this world. Raise our children, to love our mate, to be protective in society, because guilt paralyzes. Psalms 32.5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave, What? The guilt of my sin. <laughs> it doesn't say you forgave my sin. No, you forgave the guilt of my sin. What does that mean? That means you carry it no more. That means you're going to want to carry it, but knock it off. <laughs> you carry it no more. Have you ever cursed God? <laughs> Have you ever looked at God and sworn at him and, and cussed him out? No, I wouldn't do that. No, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do that. But I want to put something else in different perspective because we do it consistently all the time. And this is how we do it that I would say is almost just as bad. I would even say worse. God won't forgive me for this. I can't go to God because why would God save me? I can't ask for forgiveness again. I've done it. I've done it too much. Well, this is exactly what you're communicating to God when you say that. You are saying, God, your death is not sufficient for me. It's not strong enough. Your death doesn't carry enough power. My sin carries more power than your death. You might as well use his name in vain at him. Then even make those simple statements that we consistently make. But the accuser puts it on our shoulders. Make the statement, make the statement, make the statement. You're not good enough for God. You're not good enough for God. You're not good enough for God. And many people will perish eternity in hell because they believe it. The cross says, you're good enough. And the reason why you're good enough is because he's good enough. And he's done what you need in regards to salvation. Number five, God wants you to be alive and free so the world around you knows that he lives. What does everybody want in this world? They want to be guilt free. (laughs) They do. And the only way you can be guilt-free, I'm telling you, it's the only way, believe it or not, the only way for you to be guilt-free is to have mercy. That's it. Because we all know we're guilty. 
Again, believers or not, we just know internally that we're guilty. You have to have mercy. That's the only way you can be guilt-free. And whenever guilt arises, do you know what you do? You go to your Lord, whatever your Lord is. <laughs> you know, if it's King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, if it's Christ, you, you, you go to Christ. Or if it's, if it's um, your job, or if it's your hobbies, or if it's your alcoholism, or if it's pornography, or if it's something else, well, our, our Lord comes up that when we see you feel guilty, we start to lean on rest to numb the pain of feeling guilty. Satan offers a whole list of things, a guilt that kills, and there's, God offers a whole bunch of, one thing, a guilt that saves. Where do you go? This is probably the most important question you can ask yourself. Where do I go when I feel guilty? I go here, or I, do, I go here. The clearest explanation in the Bible is um, to see a picture of this is under Judas and under Peter. You look at Judas, and Judas did something horrific. What did he do? He sold Jesus Christ to the cross. It's horrific. Peter did something just as bad. What did he do? He denied Jesus three different times. I do not know him at all. So you see two different people, and they've got to make a decision what they're going to do with their guilt. What does Judas do? He went and hung himself. What did Peter do? He went and begged for mercy. And as a result, mercy showered on him. His life was transformed. He brought us a lot of the scripture in the Bible. There's a guilt that saves. Go to it. And there's a guilt that kills. Get rid of it. The answer is being born again. Don't accept Jesus. Just go to heaven when you die. Go to Jesus now, consistently. God, I want to be new. Brand new. Start today. Start this moment. I don't want to only believe in salvation, being born again. I want to taste salvation. God, I just pray that we be a people who come to you, God, as a result of sin that is in our life. Knowing that mercy showers down every single time that we do. God, you want us there. You want us at your feet. I just pray that we will not listen to the enemy, we will not listen to the accuser, and move away from your feet and go different directions. Bring us, God, to your throne when we sin. We just ask that you empower us, God, to do it. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.